I'm not going to read a scripture to start with. I just want to talk to you for a few moments. All of us have certain fears. And I think that probably the greatest fear that a person could possibly experience short of death itself would be pinned in or hemmed in or closed in in a situation where he cannot get out of it. I remember years ago uh, as a little kid used to uh, do quite a bit of digging into the ground. Everybody wants to make a cave, you know. You, you men remember when you used to dig and make a cave and this type of thing? I used to dig into a big bank, and I remember sitting in there about midnight one night in a whole top caved in, which I got out of without any, any real problem. There was a culvert that was just about 16 inches in diameter, I'd say about 16 inches in diameter, that ran underneath a big, wasn't a freeway, but it was a real busy highway, and it was, it was running down in a real low place, so the road was, oh, I'd say a, a good 50 or 60 feet above it. And you get uh, on one end, look through that culvert. It was a long ways through there. I would say probably three, 400 feet. And you could hardly see the other end. You could see light. You really couldn't see the other end. You could just see, see some light reflecting through. I used to crawl through that thing. And I would get down in the middle of it, and sometimes the sand had buried, had covered it up and when you get in the middle, and you have to dig your way through. Now, I could hardly believe that I actually did something like that, but I'd dig my way and wiggle through that thing. And I, I wondered, you know, what would have happened if I'd have got caught in that thing? Have you ever, I don't know if you have any fears like that. Now, I stopped all of that. Uh, something uh, taught me a real lesson. What it was, uh, my dad built a house, and on one end of the house, it, uh, it was real close to the ground. And he had these real big sills running underneath there, railroad tie-type sills. And to plumb the thing and to get underneath it for any maintenance work, he had to dig with a shovel underneath those big sills. And I used to get up underneath the house and play. And I remember one time I thought I'd go underneath an area where he didn't have it dug out. And I got caught. And there was nobody at the house. And uh, I don't know what good it would have done if somebody had been there. I don't think my mother would have tried to retrieve me from my position. In fact, I don't think she could have gotten anywhere near where I was. But I was caught up underneath the house in a moment of panic. I just started screaming. Now, that is a terrible, terrible feeling. I don't know if anybody's ever been in a situation like that. But you're talking about a terrible feeling. And I was, I was hung there, and, of course, I just I couldn't get out. And uh, I guess maybe in, in my uh, panicking condition, you know, it just made it worse. I was pulling and struggling, and I... I just couldn't, I couldn't get my head back underneath, and I was caught there. And I, I finally began to sob and cry, and I just used a little good common sense. I took my hand and dug around my head. I don't know how I got my head through there, but I did. And finally pulled myself free. I was relating this one day to a good friend of mine down in Texas, Brother David Fuller's dad. His name is V.O. Fuller, very fine man in our church, and he told me, he said, Brother Grant, I have a fear 
uh, of being caught in an elevator. So he said, I went down to Houston, Texas, and I got in an elevator, and he said, I, I told myself I was going to brave this. He worked for the International Paper Company, and the paper company had a big seminar down there, and so he went down there, and they were all getting on the elevator, and he wanted to go up the stairs. But he said, I decided that, you know, I'm a grown man. I'm just going to get in the elevator like everybody else. And he got in there, and they closed the door. And started out, and he said, this fear came over me of being trapped in there. And he said, I began to, I, I wasn't going to scream out because, you know, you're in there with all those men. And he said, uh, I just, all of a sudden, I just, I just started shaking. A man looked at me and said, uh, Vio, is everything okay? He said, well, well, yes. He thought, you know, that he, he'd be over in just a moment. But it stopped on the floor, and it wasn't their floor, and started out again. And it was in the big... Uh, humble oil company building there which must be 30 40 stories high and they were having a seminar up on a, uh, uh, an area up on the top there a restaurant a banquet area and he said uh, I just all of a sudden got real sick I mean sick I was so frightened he said I fell to my knees and they were all looking and wondering what was wrong he said when they all walked out he said I crawled out and he said, I was so embarrassed, and, 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 and I told him later, he said, I've got claustrophobia, I cannot stay inside of an elevator. He said, I've done everything. For that reason, he said, I can't even fly on a plane. He said, I, I just, I can't hardly go into a real small room. It just bothers me. And some people are that way. They absolutely can't uh, get in a small room. Now, I don't know if any of this has ever bothered you. I, I. I don't really have a fear of small rooms, but I don't want to crawl under anything. You know, I went down in a in a cave in in Kentucky, uh, the Mammoth Cave, and it is the largest cave here in the, the U.S. And there are some places where you have to get right down and crawl. And I got this real funny feeling when I was down there. You're you're a quarter of a mile down, and you're crawling underneath this big big rock. And uh, it just—it's uh, called tall men, tall man's misery, and and you got to get down and just crawl underneath it. And I got this real funny feeling. I got to tell you, but they—they uh, <laughs> they told us before we went down. They said, "Now there's some real narrow places, and there's some real low places." And we—we uh, we got in a real big room, and they—they they turned the lights off, and. Uh, they said the thing that bothers people when they got when they get lost in a cave is not really the darkness, but it's the stillness that you can't hear one thing. So they ask us all to not say anything, nobody move, and you experience a feeling of a man who's lost in a cave. Now I've I've read I read one story in Reader's Digest I think it was of a man that got lost in a cave and they found him. And uh, this man had literally clawed his fingers right down to the bone. He was so frightened, so afraid. And he died probably of, of a heart attack because he couldn't find his way out. But when they turned the lights off in this place, it's pitch dark naturally, no, nothing, nobody's saying a word. And you listen intently for some sound. And there's nothing, I mean nothing, nothing. You know, I, I've just often wondered about things like that. 
what it would be like. Have you ever, have you ever tried to put yourself in a con- condition where you have no power over it? And you just, you know, psychologically you were there and you, every now and then it's, it's good for you to think about things like that. Uh, <clears throat> I remember reading of, of a young lad that got caught in a refrigerator, an old type refrigerator. Now they will not allow the companies to make refrigerators that cannot be opened from the inside. Federal regulation prohibits this because children in playing hide-and-seek and things like this, they lock, they crawl in a refrigerator and lock themselves in there, and because it's totally airtight, they run out of oxygen, it's totally dark, and it's well insulated, and you can't hear them inside of that screaming. Perhaps you could hear the pounding. But you put yourself in a refrigerator and close the door. How? You just... For a moment, think like I'm thinking, if you will. Put yourself in How would you feel if you were locked in a little cubicle and you couldn't get out? When we were in Shawano, I went out to a, a, an area that they had, uh, a company had rented. It was associated with a fair or a circus. There was a lady that you could look down inside of a huge block of ice and she allowed them to freeze her inside of this block of ice for three days. Now she had an insulated type suit on and there was an oxygen line going in there where she could breathe. But she was frozen inside of this block of ice for three days. Now I don't know what I would have done down in there, but you know, there's no backing out. And there's no way that they could communicate with her. Now, she had psyched herself up so, uh, being involved in circuses and things like this, that she could actually uh, submit herself to, to this condition. You could look down and you could see her. They had a plastic bubble right over her face. And uh, she wasn't able to eat. I think they had some little apparatus there where she could drink water, but... I, what would you do? You couldn't move your fingers. You couldn't move your toes. You just, you're right there. I mean, and there's no possible way that you could move. Now, if you got real frightened and you wanted out, what would you do? I think, think about it just for a moment. If you got real frightened and you wanted out of there, what could you do? Sister Rose says pray. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. I will assure you, if I'd have been in there, I would have done some real praying. See, you can't keep up with the time. You don't know when day starts, when night starts. You don't know anything. You're just able to breathe. They feed you a few drops of water. And, and that's you cannot communicate. They had it where you couldn't communicate. Now, maybe somebody could look down in there and saw her panicking or you couldn't hear, screaming or something like that. Maybe they could have cracked her out. But my. You just think about it. I, 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 that just almost drives me crazy thinking about it. Does it you? You just think about that just for a moment. That's, you know, there are certain lodges, and, and some of you may be members of, of the particular lodge that I'm thinking of, and I won't call the name of it, but if you're a member of it, you probably know full well what I'm saying. There is a secret society or a lodge that is probably the largest secret society or lodge in the world that to become a member of it, 
you have to demonstrate enough trust in the brotherhood that they actually put you in a casket and close it and bury you. You think about that. Oh, dear me. You think about them lowering you down in the ground and burying you, and, and you have no power, no control. You must demonstrate your fidelity toward that organization and your trust and confidence in the brotherhood of that society that, that, uh, that they, they're going to take you out. When, when the time comes, after you have stayed in there the length of time in which you should, they're going to bring you out of the grave and open the casket and let you free. Now you think about that. How would you like to be buried alive? Buried alive in a, in a casket. Now the only thing I can think of worse than that is something that happened, I think it was way back in 1976, in the state of Pennsylvania. Three coal miners were down about... A quarter of a mile, about, uh, I'm not for sure just how many uh, feet they were down, but as well as I can remember, about a quarter of a mile down, and the thing caved in, and they couldn't get out of it. Now, they were in a room that was about the size of, I would say, this church. I think it was about 50 foot wide, they said, and about 30 feet high. 30 feet high is higher than this, by the way. This uh, building's about 20, 21 feet high. But... Uh, uh, they uh, they were in a, a, a fairly good-sized room. And there was an explosion. They were isolated. Everybody got out but these three men. Now, the engineers knew precisely where they were. The problem is that the, 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 the thing kept caving in and caving in, and there was water pouring in there. Now, you're a quarter of a mile down in the earth. The water is pouring in, and the thing keeps sinking in around you. Now, the engineers located where they thought the men were, and they began to drill. They drilled a 16-inch hole a quarter of a mile in the earth to retrieve these three trapped coal miners. I don't know if you... How many of you remember reading about this? This, this was a very horrifying story. And the, the thing that was so horrifying about it... Now, coal miners are, are schooled. They are not people who panic. They, they've been working down in, in the blackness and in the depths for, for a long time. They know, you know, if something happens, they know the worst thing that you can possibly do is panic. Because when you panic, you lose your ability to think sanely. And the emotion and such, you use up more oxygen than what you should use up. They're taught to breathe slowly and to be very calm. And they could time themselves and how often they breathe and they, they use all the oxygen that they possibly can. But ten days after this thing caved in, they finally reached them. Do you know how they were down in this hole a quarter of a mile in the earth and the, 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 the ceiling of the cave had come down so far that they were lying on their backs and the water was so high that they only had two feet. That's all that was left. And the water was six inches to the ceiling. And they were a quarter of a mile down and they had their, their mouths above the water line breathing. 
Now you think about that. Dear me, that gives me the willies. All. <laughs> can, you believe, can you actually believe, though? And these men never did panic. Now, I, they felt that it was not useful for them to panic because that if they did, uh, they would drown probably. They'd use up all the oxygen. But can you feature the amount of victory that's felt when that big bit finally drills through into that opening? They'll retrieve one at a time. They're instructed by a tape that's lowered down in the hole as to what to do. They one by one are retrieved out. They put on football helmets because they're so far down, they said, if a rock comes loose from the top and hits them in the head, and obviously it would, it would hit them, that would kill them, just a little pebble. Because when it falls a quarter of a mile, that's a long ways. And so they put the football helmet on, and they pull them out through that hole. Dear me. I, I can hardly, I can't think of anything more frightening than that. I was talking last Saturday, not yesterday, but a week ago from yesterday to a young man who had come out of the Hare Krishna movement, was with Brother Sisko. You probably remember him. Brother Marvin, he's now taking Search for Truth lessons in Brother Sisko's church. And he told me that he had been involved in uh, meditation. And he said, now, Brother Grant, whether this is actually physical or psychological, I don't really know, but I know that it, when you're doing it, it's, it's for real. He said, you can, you can sit in, a, in an area and meditate so long. And, of course, they were meditating on Krishna, who obviously is their God, but not the God. And they want to be in his presence so much that their, their spirit and soul actually leaves the body. He said, I actually left my body, and I turned, and I looked at my body, and it was there. He said, now, I don't know if, if I was just psyched up or if I actually did it. He said, even yet, I still don't know. But he said, that's what happens, see, in meditation. And he said, uh, I was afraid to go more than, than eight or ten feet away from my body because I was afraid that I'd get out there someplace, and I would get lost, and I couldn't find my way back inside of my body. And he said, I'm just sitting there. And uh, he said, now, the thing about it is, he said, I knew of several men that were involved in the Krishna movement that, that were meditating, and you go in the room and you find them dead. They have run autopsies on them, and they've not found one physical thing wrong with them. And so we have come to the conclusion in meditation is that you don't go any place outside of your body that you can't find your way back to because the body without the spirit or soul just dies. Now, he said, I don't know if that's physical or if that's just a, uh, just a figment of the imagination. But nevertheless, he said, it seems to be real. You know? So he said, I only traveled eight or ten feet outside the body. I was afraid to go outside the room and leave my body there. He said, it's a strange feeling. 
He said, now you, you don't, you'd have to do it to understand. You, there's no possible way. But he said, there's a real fear as you begin to travel away from your body in meditation that somehow you're going to be separated from that body and you can't find your way back there. And he said, yet at the same time, you are well aware that, uh, that there's more to you than just a soul and a spirit. It's a, and they're going to take your body and they're going to bury that body. It's going to be trapped in someplace underneath the earth. And you're not going to be able to find your way back in there. And he said, it, it is, it, he said it, it's like being maybe pinned in someplace or trapped in someplace. There seems to be awareness in, in the body separate apart from the soul and the spirit. He said, I can't really understand that. I can't explain it really. I understand it because I experienced it. And he said some of my peers, as far as we were concerned, never found their way back inside their body. Now, I don't really know. Please understand. I don't really know anything about this other than what he told me. I, I don't care to, uh, to experiment. I, wouldn't, I don't suggest anybody go experiment. He said it takes sometimes years to be able to leave your body. But I began to think of all of these things, and I, I began to think of a statement that David said that's found in the book of Acts. Uh, <clears throat> it's also found way back in the book of Psalms. We'll read the Acts account, and then we'll just flip back there and read the account that's that's found in the book of Psalms. All right. The Acts account, the second chapter, verse 25, For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also did my, uh, moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Now, hell that's spoken of here is Hades or the grave. Now, in the New Testament, <clears throat> when you read the word hell, it is translated sometimes a place of torment. Other times it's, it's translated the grave. Sometimes it just says hell, and you have to do your own translating. By that I mean... The context of the scripture as it fits in or dovetails with all the other teaching of the Bible here teaches us that David is not saying that in the place of torment or what we would call a similar condition of the lake of fire that's spoken of in Revelation 21. This is not what he's talking about. But he's talking about the grave. See, David seemed to have this fear that one of these days I'm going to die. Now when you die, the Bible says that your spirit goeth back to God which giveth it. See, the soul then, which is the conscious part, it is the seat of the emotions, like Jesus said when he went in the Garden of Gethsemane before he died on the cross, now is my soul exceedingly troubled and sorrowful. See, the soul seems to be the seat of the emotions. The spirit is the life that, that we have 
human life that comes from God, an element of God himself in us. Now, the spirit goes back to God. But the soul then, the soul then goes into a place prepared by God and waits there until such a time that it is reunited back with the body. Now this is what this is what uh, David was saying. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. In hell means here or in the grave. Now please understand the body goes in the grave. But in the Old Testament when they spoke of hell, quite often they spoke of the soul being in hell. Now Jesus differentiates in his writings this in Luke 16. In other words, he gives us a, a literal account of what happens. If you'd like to turn there, we'll just, we'll just read that for you. In, in Luke, the 16th chapter, verse 19, the Bible says, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores and it came to pass that the beggar died. Okay, now here's a man that doesn't have much, but he, he has faith in God. He dies, okay. He was carried by the angels unto Abraham's bosom. Now, the rich man died also, and he was buried. Now, they were both buried in the earth. Their bodies were in the earth. The rich man's soul went to hell. In hell, he lifted up his eyes. Now, hell here means a place of torments. However, the man who died in the Lord, even though it's referred to quite often as Hades or the grave, he went to a place called Abraham's bosom. Why? Because he had faith in God. He believed in God. He was a righteous man. He didn't have much of this earth's goods, but he was a good man and he was a righteous man. He went to Abraham's bosom. Now, Abraham's bosom is a Jewish phrase which simply means a place of rest or paradise for those who die in God. And so he went there. Now, the Bible speaks of the conditions of hell where the, the, uh, the sinner man, the rich man, the man who wasn't living for God, the man who was not prepared to meet God, the Bible tells us where he went. Now, he began to cry out immediately, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Now I'm not trying to say that I believe that TD or transcendental meditation is authentic. I'm not trying to say that. But I want to refer to something here in meditation. This man who was meditating on Krishna said that when he left his body, it was very evident to him that he had feelings, that his soul and being had feelings separate and apart from the body. 
And you will find, now whether that's authentic or not, you will find that the Bible does bear witness. Now this rich man was buried, but he went to hell. Now you could have gone out when Jesus wrote this, I'm sure, and dug up his body and there he was. But you see, the real rich man, you see, man is one-third flesh or physical and two-thirds spiritual. Now, the Bible bears witness that. That simply means that man is made up of, of soul. That's spiritual. You can't see the soul. He's made up of spirit. You can't see the spirit. And he's made up of body. That you can see. Some people only think of themselves as being a body, but there's more to you than that. Have you ever been in a room and, and or you've been someplace, maybe in a shopping center or maybe even in a, in a real uh, busy public place, and all of a sudden you felt like somebody was behind you? Now, why is it that sometimes you can detect these things, but you can't really see them? Nothing's been said. They haven't called your name, but you get this real funny feeling feeling that somebody's behind you and you turn around and sure enough there he is you know almost scared the daylights out of you but nevertheless it was there why do you get this funny feeling you see there's more to you than just body that's true you are divinely made by God spirit soul and body now I'm not bringing to you anything that is, is contrary to Bible teachings or even a new doctrine. But uh, you are made up of soul, body, and spirit. This rich man's body was in the grave. But in hell his soul rested. And he lifted up his eyes and the Bible says he saw. Can you see without the body? The Bible says you can. Even Christians can see with their eyes closed. That's what James says, that we need to walk by faith, not by sight. You may say, but faith is just a figment of the imagination. Oh, is it really? You see, the Bible tells us, though the outer man perished, the inward man is renewed day by day in the Holy Ghost. That God's Spirit can, can take and feed the inner man, that which lies inside of the body. And that with his eyes closed, he can see real things. You see, faith is not a figment of the imagination. It's actually seeing with your inner man before it actually happens. For faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hebrews 11.1, 1, the evidence. That simply means you've got the evidence before you actually see it with your physical eyes. Now that's what faith is. Now you cannot have faith unless you feed your soul on the Holy Ghost. And that's an important thing for you to understand. When, when you come up for prayer, let's say you're sick in body, you've got to be able to feed your soul upon the Spirit, for it is indeed the Spirit that healeth. And you've got to be able to see that thing happening with your inner man with your spirit and soul, even though your physical body can't see it because it is wrecked with pain. Now that's what faith is. That's the reason why you can't go out and just pick up some books on a, on a, on a supermarket shelf someplace on positive thinking and think your way into healing. 
It's more than just thinking. While I don't eliminate thinking, it's feeding your soul and having confidence in God that builds you up. Oh, if you ever get despondent and down and out, pray. I know quite often we tell people what you need to do is read. I say, read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. But you see, there are a whole lot of things that are sold on the supermarket shelves today and in Christian bookstores that's no more than just humanistic ideas teaching you that you can be what you want to be separate and apart from God. You can't. Now, you may be what you really think you want to be, but when you get there, you won't be happy. You've got to be what God wants you to be. But this rich man actually had eyes. He prayed that Lazarus would dip his tip of his finger in the water and put it on his tongue. He had a tongue. He was tormented. He also heard, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime, evidently the soul has a brain. Can you believe that? You know, scientists... Biologists, people in the medical profession have not yet been able to determine where life really is. And really what makes mankind what he is. You can take the brain apart and dissect it and look at it. What causes those thoughts to stay in you? Where do they come from? Those electronic pulsations that, that flow through. What is this all about? And, and after... 6,000 years of man's history. I'm going by the Bible. I'm not going by scientists. On the face of it, they still haven't been able to figure out where it all comes from. Son, remember, when he went to hell, he could actually remember what happened on the face of it. Now, keep in mind, his body was still in the grave, but his soul was in hell. Now, David was not referring to the man who was lost, he was actually referring to the righteous man. But even at that, it, it appeared that David did have a particular fear. And I just want to turn to Psalm 16. The very same thing is recorded there in, in Acts 2. I have set the Lord always before me, verse 8, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. In other words, what he's saying, I want God by my right hand. The right hand is a symbol of power. It's a symbol of authority. You see, David was the one that wrote in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I, what? Well, do what? I will fear no evil. Why? Because, you see, what he's saying here is, <clears throat> I realize that one of these days my soul and spirit's going to float outside of my body. It's called death. Death really means separation. That's that's explained in James, the second and third chapter. He says as. Death, as, as the spirit without the body 
is death, so is faith without works. That's what death really means separation. He said there's going to be a time in which my soul and my spirit's going to float outside of my body. Now, to most of us, you see, that sounds so alien. But I'll tell you what, you put yourself flat on your back in a hospital bed with leukemia right now in your mind, and you think about facing death and see how much fear you actually have. I've seen a lot of bold braggers in my day that just kind of cocked their head back and said, Preacher, I'll worry about it when it happens. My mind goes to a man whom I visited. He was a backslider in Cushion, Texas. Six foot four, weighed 240 pounds. A big, tall cowboy, lived on a ranch. And I knew it was a backslider, and the Lord gave me a burden, and I went over and talked with him. His name was Lucian, Lucian Bass. I said, Lucian, you need to come back to church. He said, well, I don't know. He said, I just always seem to be able to get through everything. I found out later that he had a chest pain. He went to the doctor. They took a biopsy of his lung, and they found out he had lung cancer. I went back to see him uh, a few months later. I still couldn't reach his heart. He just didn't want to talk about it. You see, uh, he was still quite healthy, and you couldn't see many signs of deterioration. However, I do remember about uh, two weeks before he died, we were having revival services. He walked in my church, tall man, he's skin and bones, he's just so frail. You, you could hardly believe what he looked like. He sat on the pew. And when I gave the altar call, the call to give your heart to God, he came down. He knelt and prayed. I still remember his deep sunken eyes, cheekbones protruding out. He looked up at me and he said, Brother Grant, pray. He said, I'm going to die and I've got a fear. He said, what is it that causes a fear to come upon you when you think about death? You see, see now David said to the child of God, he said, uh, it's a different story. There, there is a separation that occurs. Now, he said, the Lord is my, at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad. And my, glo and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. Notice what he said. My flesh is going to rest in hope. The body is going to rest in hope. Do you believe that it is possible that when you leave your body by death that there is a real consciousness that you're resting there? Do you believe that it is possible for people to get this terrible feeling that they're trapped in? I believe that's what he was talking about. I believe that exactly that's what he was talking about. That even though the body, the spirit and the soul is gone, that there's, there's, there is a consciousness that you're trapped in, you're locked in, you're pinned in and you can't get out. And David said, now... My only hope in all of this is that God is by, at my right hand and I shall not be moved. Therefore, he said, my flesh rests is in hope. Just like the members of the secret lodge 
demonstrate trust by allowing their body to be buried until such a time that they're resurrected. They place total confidence in the brotherhood. David is saying this is also true in God. That there will come a time. You see, you don't have any power over death. Death has been pronounced upon every person that ever walked upon the face of this earth. The only exception is the rapture that will take place short of death for some of us. But the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. Let me tell you something. You have an appointment to meet God one of these days. Now all of you had an appointment to come to church today and some of you were late. But when God calls your name, you're not going to be late. And you can't just call him up and say, I'll see you next week, Lord. It's not going to be that way. It doesn't happen that way. When your time comes, I don't care what happens, you will meet him. So you have an appointment to die. And David is saying, now, I've got an appointment, but here is my trust, my confidence. Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, verse 10, neither will thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. He's talking about Jesus Christ. He said, now, did you know that all of this is contingent upon Jesus Christ? Now, I put my faith and confidence in what's going to happen when he dies and when they put him in the ground. Is that what he's saying? That's exactly what he's saying. But that's the confidence, he says, that I have in the Master. Now, Revelation 1 Revelation 1. Verse 17. And when I saw him, now this is John on the Isle of Patmos. Now he's seeing Jesus Christ as the total victor over everything. He sees him at the end of everything. Notice what happened. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not. Notice the right hand and fear not. Jesus is the symbol of power and authority. When Jesus ascended, he ascended the right hand of the throne of God. He became the power and the authority of God. And him... The Bible says, all power in heaven and earth is given, Matthew 28, 18. Now Jesus said, I am first and the last, verse 18, and I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen, or so be it. That's the way it is. And have the keys of hell and of death. Now Peter tells us in his epistle, the third chapter, verse 18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. That's speaking about his death. 
the just for the unjust. Jesus Christ was the just. He suffered for the unjust. In other words, people who did not really deserve to be set free, people who did not deserve to be saved, he suffered for them, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Now, let's read on. But which also, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in what? Prison. Now, it simply means in Revelation when he says he has the keys to hell and death. There is a key there because, you see, the Old Testament saints were locked in. This rich man was locked in. He was taken and placed in a place of paradise, even though his body was in. And then, of course, in hell, where the rich man went, a place of torment, he was locked in also. Now, Jesus Christ holds the keys to Hades, to the grave. Now, the Bible tells us that when Jesus Christ died, he ascended in the lower parts of the earth. Now, the, the Bible tells us that the devil held the keys to death. But Jesus Christ literally went down and took the keys of death and of hell out of Satan's hand. And he went then where all the Old Testament saints were locked. And he opened the door and ministered to those people who were in prison. They, they were in prison simply because that they would be left there if Jesus Christ had a suffered corruption in the grave. But Jesus allowed himself. He submitted himself to death, just like the woman submitted herself to be buried in the block of ice with perfect confidence that somehow, some way, he'd come out of there. And let me tell you something. When the Bible records a resurrection and the stone being rolled away, friend, the stone was not rolled away to let Jesus out. It was rolled away so we could see in that it was empty because we're physical. Jesus Christ could walk through walls when he came. But the stone was rolled away for our benefit so that those who witnessed the tomb could truthfully say, there's nobody in there. Now this is speaking of the dispensation of the law ending. Matthew 27, 50, Jesus, when he cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. That means the spirit. He gave up human life. Verse 51, And behold, the veil of the temple was, was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. That's in the temple where the holy place was, separating the holy from the holy of holies. There was a veil there. It was rent in twain. God just split it wide open. And the earth did quake and the Rocks ran. Now notice what happened. Verse 52. And the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. It's already been a resurrection, not just for Jesus, but for the saints. 
Now notice though, the, the Bible very carefully gives us how this happened or when it happened. Now notice what verse 53, and came out of the graves after his resurrection. They couldn't do it until he arose. But when Jesus Christ came out, he led not only himself out, but having the keys to death, having the keys to hell, Jesus Christ was able to take those men who had died and were locked in paradise. They were locked there. He was able to go take the keys out of the hand of Satan and unlock the prison and minister to them. And when he came out of his grave, the Bible says that the Old Testament saints' graves were open and they came out also. There has already been a resurrection. Now this is a resurrection that the world knows little or nothing of. But the graves were open. Now I don't really know that the graves opened like Jesus' grave opened. Why? Because you see, there was no real point at this particular time for all the tombs to open up. What was important was that the one tomb opened up so we could see it empty. Because you see, our faith rests in Him. Now, what about those then who were in hell or the place of torment? Revelation tells us that there will be a time. Peter speaks of this as the restitution of all things. That is, when even God will direct the spirit and the soul that's in the place of torment back in the body, and they'll come forth to stand before Jesus Christ. But you see, the sad part of all of this is that when they stand there before Jesus Christ, they are then, because they did not rest in hope in Him, because they had not surrendered their life to Him, because they had not repented of their sins, that caused this corruptible, damnable condition, because they love evil, love the devil, they love to lose. If you're outside of Jesus Christ, you're a born loser, friend. It's just that way. And I'll tell you another thing, too. I'm a firm believer that when your body rests in the ground and your soul then is taken and placed in a place of torment, you're going to experience exactly what I started relating to you in the form of claustrophobia and such that happens. That's what David was saying. I've got to get out of here. I've got to unite myself with my body. Why? Because even though the body is physical, friends, it is one-third of your general makeup. And you will not be complete until the soul and the spirit enters back into that body. And one of these days, even though you died without a hope, and even though you rest without hope in the resurrection and the eternal city. One of these days, God's going to give you momentary hope in which you're going to go back into that body and that body's going to come back up. The Bible says the sea gave up the dead, both small and great. And one of these days, the Bible says, that you will stand before God to be judged. Now the difference is that this time when you're cast into hell, 
you're casting there a, a whole person, body, soul, and spirit. You're very cognizant of the fact now that you're united. But this time it's going to be additional torment because you're closed in in the lake of fire, the pit, outer darkness, like the mammoth cave, not a sound of anything except maybe the trickling of a river someplace underground. You hear this, but in hell, it'll be the distant screams of people who are locked in eternally. Now see, you don't have to have that happen to you, but that's, you see, the importance of Easter is that we right now can rest assured in the Lord if we give our heart to God. That when this body goes back to the grave, that one day there will be a unity in which we as a whole person can stand before God and be set free and never have to experience being locked in or pinned in. I want you to stand with me at this time if you would. You may say, oh, but Brother Grant, that's, that's so, so far away. It might not be so far away for some of you. Brother and Sister Cox are in Minneapolis right now. They've, he preached a funeral yesterday of Sister, Sister Cox's uncle. Death is one of the most natural things on the face of the earth. God gave us seasons. Every time you see a leaf drop to the ground and rot, it ought to remind you that someday you're going to drop. Ecclesiastes says, In the direction that the tree falleth, there shall it also lie. And what he's saying there in the book of Ecclesiastes is this. The way you live your life and die is the way you'll be judged. And what I have talked to you about, let me tell you, if you were to go into eternity right now, you would experience exactly the feeling that I introduced in my message today. Screaming in a lake of fire. Pinned in, locked in. No vindication. Helpless. But not only helpless, hopeless. But those who rest in the Lord, Paul said, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope what he's saying is don't feel sorry for the Christian if you weep when you pass a graveyard make sure you weep over those who have no hope hallelujah 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 for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which also sleep in Jesus 
will God bring him with him. Why? He's got the keys. He opened the door. He literally took him out of the hands of Satan. That was bent upon destruction. For this we say by you, which the word, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. You know what he's going to do? And with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And he's going to take those keys. And he's going to open up all the graves. And those which rest in the Lord. Their soul and their spirit will be united. And they'll go to be with him. In the air. Now. Sometimes when we talk about the rapture of the church and graves opening up, people get fear. That's usually because they're not ready to meet the Lord, see. For notice what he says. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Verse 18 has a key to it. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That simply means praise God. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that Jesus is coming back? Aren't you glad that he's got the keys in his hand? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. To the man who's ready, the rapture is the answer. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's lift our hands all over the building and let's praise Him. He rose! He rose! Up from the grave! He rose! And He had the keys to death. Held the grave in His hand. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah.